Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's great to have all of you guys with us today, even those uh, joining us online. It's so good to have you in the house today. We're in a series called Church Hurt, uh, and we've been talking about how we can heal from being hurt by church, because anytime you're in a relationship with anybody, any person, even a church, that happens to us, right? And today, I want to talk to you about something that's really dear to my heart, when church leaders hurt the church. Yes, I'm going to talk about church leadership um, and why they do this, how they do this. And so if you will, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel 13. Uh, and, you know, so one of the things when playing basketball, especially even pickup basketball, one of the things that you do if you have a guy that's new and he gets put on your team, uh, what you want to know is this, is he any good? Can he help us, right? Uh, does he know the game? Has he practiced it? And you're kind of always sizing people up, watching them warm up and things like that because you want to know, can this person help or hurt the team? Well, um, I joined a league that a friend put me in that he helps run out in the West End. So I joined this league and he says, I'm going to put you on a team that really needs your help. I said, okay, cool. I mean, I'm not great, but I guess I could help this team. That must have been pretty bad. And guess what? They were terrible. <laughs> and so I get on the team. But the worst part of that team wasn't just the team. It was the captain. The captain, number one, did not know basketball, didn't understand it, thought he did. Uh, number two, he wasn't good at all at basketball. So that's strike two, right, uh, at basketball. And he wasn't in basketball shape. He was A-shape, but he wasn't in basketball shape. And so the three, uh, the, all that brought together wasn't good. And I'll never forget, um, you know, I'm being the new guy on the team and the other players asking, hey, hey let, let this guy play some. But near the end of the season, I began to notice something. He began to just take me out of the game and put himself in all the time. And the last game of the season, we're in a neck-neck game. Everything's really close. He takes me out, which I'm cool. He's the captain, whatever. Um, and I go and I, I, I sit at the bench, and the players are like, get in the game. What are you doing? And I'm like, he's the, and he's out there. I mean, and he was just throwing up air ball after air ball. <laughs> and finally, the team went to him and said, go to the bench and, and took him out of the game because he was just destroying the team. Yeah, it was, it was that bad. And we ended up losing the game, and it cost us the playoffs because of that. And one of the things that, that I noticed about it, and I'm always kind of like, you know, psychologically looking at things, is because, because of his insecurity, he ended up hurting the team. Because of this insecurity, uh, because he felt like he just needed to prove himself, he needed to get in there and do that, it cost the team the game. And I want to talk to you today about a leader in the Bible who did the same exact thing. He was given stewardship over God's people. God anointed him and called him, but because of his insecurity, because of his inner issues, he cost his team, quote-unquote, the game. And this is Saul. It's the guy you learned about last week, and you, you know, heard about it from Andrew, did an amazing job with that message, he, and talked about that famous song that was saying about Saul and David. You know, Saul has slain his thousands, but David ten thousands more, right? And so uh, he got really jealous and insecure. Saul had no reason to be, though. He was Israel's first king ever. So after the time of judges, Israel started looking around at other nations, and they had judges. God raised up these leaders like Samson and Jephthah, we learned about, all these different guys. And they said, we don't want to be led by you, God, just in a theocracy. We want a king like this other nations have. And God says, that's not my desire for you. He said, no, we want it. And they kept pressing. God says, fine, you can have a king. And God calls and raises up this guy named Saul. And what we know about him, this is very important to note as we get into this, it says he was head and shoulders above the rest. The first thing we learn about Saul is, is his public appearance, persona to other people, that he was a, the guy who looked the part. 
And so he takes over as the king of Israel, and Saul did a terrible job from day one. Time after time after time again, he is hurting the people he's called to lead because of his own insecurity and his own issues. And what we're going to look at today in in 1 Samuel 13 is a time where he blatantly disobeyed God because things didn't happen as fast as he wanted them to. Look at 1 Samuel 13. They're in the middle of a battle here. And it says here, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 42 years. Saul selected 3,000 special troops from the army of Israel and sent the rest of the men home. He took 2,000 of the chosen men with him to Michmash in the hill country of Bethel. The other 1,000 went with Saul's son, Jonathan, to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. Verse 3 says, Soon after this, Jonathan attacked and defeated the garrison of the Philistines at Geba. And the news spread quickly among the Philistines. So Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, Hebrews, hear this, rise up and revolt. And all Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistine garrison at Geba and that the Philistines now hated the Israelites more than ever. So the entire Israelite army was summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. It's getting ready to go down, right? And it says this, the Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of the sands of the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. And it says this, some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad at Gilead. And it says that Saul stayed at Gilgal and his men were trembling with fear. Now, this is where leadership comes in, right? Your men are scared. These guys have got you surrounded. And look what Saul does as a leader. And Saul says Saul waited there seven days for Samuel as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Now watch this. This is the key verse of all of today. If you've been daydreaming the whole time, focus right now in. It says this, Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. And this is where Saul makes a grave leadership decision. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. You say, well, what's the big, he was the king. He could do what he wanted to, right? Why couldn't he do an offering? Well, in Israel, you have to understand there was three offices. There was priest, prophet, and king. The only person that was all three was Jesus, right? He was was priest, prophet, and king. The only person to hold two offices, though, was Samuel. Samuel was the priest and the prophet, right? And he was one of the first of Israel. And as a prophet, here's what he was called to do. He was called to keep the king in check. He was called to hear from God and speak to the kings. Anytime you see the prophets of the Old Testament, their job was to reveal to these kings what God was saying, the areas they were messing up in. But as the priest, as the priest, his role was to go in and do the burnt offerings to the Lord. That's how the Jews did it back then. That was his role. That's what God had called him to do. The king was not allowed to do it because you weren't a king and a priest. God had given him a lane and given him a grace And that was forbidden in the Old Testament to do it. But what does Saul do? They're rapidly slipping away. Well, I'll just go do it myself. And so he did it. Now look at verse 10. 
Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him, but Samuel said, What is this you have done? And Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines were at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, The Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I had even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled right? Feels good to me. I'm going to do it myself. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. Now, verse 13, and this is where the prophet comes in to speak God's truth. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom uh, uh, over Israel forever, but now your kingdom must end. Now, it, it didn't end right then, right? But he was speaking in the future. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. We knew that man to be David, as you heard about last week. But what you see here is you see an insecure leader who felt like he was losing the locker room. He was losing the troops. So what does he do? Rashly and with compulsion, he goes and does something that looks good from the outside. He's doing burnt offerings, right? This looks really spiritual. It looks good, but he's outside the lane that God had given him, and it cost him. But it just didn't cost him. His mess-ups and leadership kept costing the people that he was leading. And what I want to do today is draw a parallel between Saul and what Saul did to the people of Israel. And I want to draw a parallel to church leaders. Now today, you say, why would you teach on this? You, you know, why would you teach about church leaders who hurt the church? Because I have been where you're at. I have sat in churches, and I guarantee, I'm, I promise you, my church hurt stories of being under really bad leadership would rival yours, if not take it way past that. I have had some stories of where church leaders have wounded me deeply and wounded me greatly, Right? I'm also in a unique role because I am a church leader, if you've not noticed. And so I, I, I know from both sides how this is, but can I tell you when it comes to church hurt, the church leaders have done a lot to hurt the church. And before we even jump into all the day's message, I just want to publicly apologize on behalf of the Lord to any church leader who's hurt you, whether it's unintentionally or intentionally. I know my own share, unintentionally, I would never intentionally hurt anybody. But if you've been hurt by the church and by church leadership, I just want to apologize and say Jesus didn't do it to you. It was, it, was, it was people who did. But I want to talk to you today about how this happens and what type of leaders do this. So if you have your notes, write this down because this is today's big idea. Here's what we can get from Saul and it's this. Insecure leaders end up injuring church attenders. Well, how does this happen? Because you have someone who's incredibly insecure. And that insecurity drives them to want to please people or get progress or have growth or keep this public persona, and they end up hurting people. You know, I, I, I see this all the time. I'll talk to certain pastors who are always going through staff members every couple of years. The other day, we were, I was talking to a guy, and I was like, yeah, man, so, you know, we're celebrating 10 years, and, you know, Keith's been with me nine, and Bonnie's been, you know, with us now 10. She came, she was the first person to ever join the church. Our, our, probably our youngest tenured staff members are now six years, and he's like, really? It's like, dude, if I get two, I'm good. Because every time I hear him, 
It's how somebody hasn't done what they wanted them to do, got angry at something and fired them. That's insecurity. And some leaders want to please people to the point they end up destroying the church. They never had the hard conversations. They never set direction and vision. And so you watch over and over again the level of insecurity will also match the level of injury of the people that you end up leading. And it's so important to know that. And here's where that comes from. Here's the major portion. It's this, is that church leaders harm the church when they value their reputation over godly character. That's how that happens. Right? The rest of you will clap later that one person got that. The rest of you didn't, but you, but, but, but you will. Because here's what that means. Saul valued reputation, right, over character. Character is who you are in the dark. Character is this. If nobody was to ever know that you would do it, would you still do it? If, they, if, if your boss was, was a, if, if you were guaranteed they'd never find out you steal money, would you go steal it anyway? If your spouse was to never know you'd have the affair, would you have it? Right? If no one's to ever check your browser history, would you still watch porn? Like, that's character. And, and what happens is this. It's leaders who lack character crash churches. That's tweet-worthy. Leaders who lack character crash churches. Because it's like the iceberg. Character is the 90% of who you are beneath the surface. Your talent and your performance is the 10%. Now, we can easily point the finger at church leaders, whether it's a staff, whether it's a worship or kids or youth or a senior. We can easily say, yeah, that's right. They don't develop character. But from day one, a church leader is taught you are valued based on what you can perform in front of people. You're, You're never valued because of character, usually. Think about it. Like, when a church chooses a pastor... What do they do? The pastor gets up and preaches. They say, well, I, I like his sermon. They have no idea if he is terrible with finances and is the financial ruin. They have no idea if, you know, if he's left his last five churches because he's failed or crashed them. Character is not even brought in. When you go to school for ministry, there are no classes on character. It's preaching classes, perform. It's never the 90% that's below the surface. And you have to understand something. Character is, again, the 90% of your life. It's not the what you do in the stage. What I do up here for the 30 minutes I do a week is the smallest thing I do a week, even though it is important. It's how I manage my life. It's being a person of character. You know, you know what my main goal is? I want to be the person you think I am. The, the thing I never want to be, amen? Like, like the thing I never want to be, I never, ever, ever, ever want you to say, I really thought that guy was a great husband. How could he have done that to his wife? And I actually thought he really loved his child. Why? I really thought this guy was, a, I thought he was the real deal. I never want that to be said opposite of me, where you're sitting on the other side looking at it. That takes focusing on character, focusing on the 90% of my life, making sure I'm healthy, making sure I'm whole, making sure I'm making good decisions. I have people in my life who can speak into my life, not just worry about reputation and what people think about me. And that's where Saul messed up. This is why Saul did what he did. This is why church leaders do what they do. I work with church leaders. You know, I, I have a few other jobs I do, and it's, it's consulting and coaching and working with church leaders. And here's the problem that Saul had that most leaders have. Saul cared more about his public appearance instead of his personal obedience. 
He cared more about the 10% of what those troops thought of him instead of waiting on the Lord and saying, Samuel, when Samuel gets here, Samuel will handle this. The Lord's going to handle this. I know the army looks big, guys, but God is bigger. He didn't do any of that. He panicked, and he went and did something the Lord never called him to do. He cared more about his public appearance than he did his personal obedience. He lacked character. And here's how Saul hurt God's people. First thing he did was he compromised. Yeah, but he did something spiritual. It's good. No, 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 no. It was outside of the realm of what God had called him to do. He compromised. Anytime a church leader hurts the church, it starts with small compromises. Like no one ever wakes up one day and, and thinks, I'm going to have an affair or I'm going to be a crack addict, do they? They're like, yeah, you know what? It's, it's a beautiful fall day. I think I'll go smoke some crack. It's just so, man, you know, man, it's, it's beautiful today. I think I'm just going to, let's go have an affair. But it happens. How does it happen? Small compromises along the way. And over time and over time, that crack in character causes people to make decisions that would harm other people. That's what Saul did. He compromised over and over and over again. He disobeyed God and he rationalized it. And that's what we can do. The second way that he hurt God's people was this, is a lack of patience. He said, man, I waited as long as I could for you and you just didn't come. Well, no, he didn't wait as long as he could. He could have waited for Samuel and trusted God, but he didn't, did he? He went ahead and did something rashly and out of compulsion. Now, let me say this. I, I wonder, I wonder how many staff members and pastors leave their assignments way too early because they don't see the fruit they want to see. They don't get the attendance they want. They don't get the results they want. I wonder, I wonder this, and I'm not judging, guys, but I do wonder sometimes. I wonder how many guys go into real big building projects and go into $40 million worth of debt and are stressed out and are on all types of prescription medications, the pastors are, because they're completely full of anxiety and depression. I work with these guys behind the scenes. I know it. Because they just didn't want to wait on God and get the cash first and just go slowly with it. I wonder. I wonder how many people do that. A lack of patience. And then finally, here's what Saul did. He had a misunderstanding of his lane. And as for church leaders, this is very important to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. And this is good for you guys to know as well, right? Because so many times, think about a, a pastor is expected to be a theologian, you know, which again, thank God I went to school and got, you know, learned about the, a theologian. You're expected to be a great family man and be there all the time for your family. Make sure you post on social media so they all see you and tag it and like it, right? Uh, make sure your finances are impeccable, right? Like, and these are all things I strive for. Make sure you're taking your care of your body physically because you can't lead others. You're not doing that right. Okay? So, so make sure you're really good at preaching. You're really good at leading staff and organizing staff and choosing talent and choosing people around you. Make sure you're good at caring for them. Make sure you're really good at counseling too and, and you got to be a counselor. And also, you also be really good at managing budgets because churches have budgets and you got to look at, you see what I'm saying? You can't be good at everything. And Saul stepped outside of his lane. I think the greatest thing I've learned with leadership that's helped me out is I know what I stink at. And I get all those people around me, and they're really good at it. Like, I'm so, so thankful for a guy like Keith Rao. 
Some of you guys don't know that your campus pastor. You might think he's like junior pastor, and if he comes and visits you, or if he, he, you know, if, 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 he, if he works with you and he's junior, Kevin, he's not quite as good. This guy, I'm telling you something, he's the engine of this church. Amen? Like, he also hates any public acknowledgement of any kind, so he is in the back going, oh, son of a, oh. But I know what I'm not good. The first hire I ever made, they were like, hey, do you want to raise? Because we're, you know, you, you're making part. It's like, I want Keith Rowell. Well, he's going to be a youth pastor because he's 25 years old. No, 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 he's not a youth pastor. What's he going to do? He's going to be our connections pastor, and he's going to take all this stuff I'm doing. Off. I did every email, did everything in the church. He's going to take that off of me because he's really good at that, and I'm not good at it. And I made that decision. You've all, listen, can we be honest? Because I've sat where you're sitting. You've all been under pastors who did not have the gift of preaching. You're like, uh, you uh, have you looked in the mirror yet, bro? Like he's got but I've literally, my wife and I have sat in her guys, Keith and Brian Isabel there. We've sat in a guy who would get up on Sunday morning and say, I have nothing. The Lord gave me nothing to say this week. So I'm just going to share from my heart. And you're just like sweating. Oh, no. It wasn't the guy's gifting. It wasn't called to preach. If, I tell people all the time, if you can't motivate people to sign up for potluck, don't motivate them to sign up to follow Jesus. <laughs> so Saul didn't understand his lane, what he was called to. And insecure leaders can end up injuring church attenders. But here's what I want to do from this point forward. I, I, we can point the finger at church leaders. I can point the finger at myself. We can, we can all point the finger at others. I've given you a window to look into. A window is when you walk by and you can look into something else. You can either you throw stones at it, you can crack it, you can look into it. But for the rest of the day, what I want to do is give you a mirror to look into. Because it does us no good to sit here and talk about church leaders and what they can do and all this and that if we don't take care of ourselves. Because at the end of the day, when I was under bad leadership, under really bad leadership, I couldn't change them, but I could change me. And I could, I could become a better person I didn't have to let bitterness and resentment and anger make me worse off by being under them. So here's what I want you to understand and me to understand today, because this is so important. We could all easily make the same mistake that Saul made and forfeit God's future plans for us. That's what it comes down to. God has plans for you guys. God wants your relationships to flourish. He wants your marriage to flourish. He wants your, your friendships to flourish. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to, no pun intended, thrive with the gospel. But when we make the same mistake that Saul made, then we can end up forfeiting God's future plans for us. What was the last thing that Samuel said to Saul? He said, and now I've already picked your replacement. Saul had 42 years in the tank ready to go. He was just getting started. And God had already said, yeah, man, your kingdom's going to end. I've already got somebody else in mind because you cannot keep it between the ditches. And I want to encourage you today because I want you to have a mirror to look into instead of a window and say, you know what? Here's what I've got to do. And what I'm going to share with you over the next few minutes are the things that, that have helped me out in my life to make sure that I'm focusing on the 90% below the surface, not just the 10% above the surface, which is public appearance, which is preaching, which is this public persona and reputation, it's character. And this message means a lot to me because the thing that I want to make sure, I talked to somebody earlier, another church leader about this this morning, we were just you know, talking at the Dream Team rally, is that the greatest gift, I've told you this before, I can give you guys is a healthy leader whole leader. It's not a great sermon on Sundays. 
because I've watched churches crashed, and it's the saddest thing ever. Maybe you were a part of one where the pastor gets caught in a moral failure, staff are having affairs, I mean, all types of crazy stuff. And what happened a few years ago really shocked me. I was on a Zoom call, and the leader of our coaching network that I'm on, and I'm, I'm part of a consultant team that works with all these coaches as well and then works with churches, he's known for his sarcasm. He's known for just saying really, like, off-the-wall things that are funny, you know, like, oh, yeah. And we, the Zoom call opens up, and this guy says, we'll call, we'll call the, 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 the pastor Johnny who failed. He says, hey, guys, I just want to tell you today that, I, that Johnny... Um, had multiple affairs and is no longer the pastor of XYZ Church. And I was waiting for like the punchline and for Johnny to say, ha, 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 you're so funny, because Johnny's supposed to be on the call. Johnny was on the call, and my heart sank. And the leader of our coaching network went on to tell us the story. He says, I just want to be honest with you guys. Here's what happened. He was having an affair with a staff member in the church and having an affair with someone in the church that was in a management position of a pretty well-known organization in a really, really, really small town. And that wasn't the worst part about it. It wasn't the, the fact that, that church went from 30 people to 1,000 in three years. Explosive growth. Everybody wanted to learn from this guy. He had a wonderful wife, beautiful family. And that's not even all the worst part of it. Our coach, uh, the coaching director says that he had to go because he was personally involved as a board of directors of this church. He went to the lady's house and her husband, the staff member who was having the affair with the pastor, and he sits down with them. We'll just call her Susie. He says, and the husband's wondering, why are you here? What's going on? He says, Susie, do, do, do you want to talk to your husband? She wanted the director there. She said, I've been having an affair with the pastor. The pastor was a good friend of his. He said he had never seen a grown man go into, he, the man went into the yard, like Old Testament stuff, ripped his shirt, fell on the ground in the dirt, grown man in the dirt, crying and screaming and pounding the dirt, asking God why. He loved his wife so much. Why? He said he had never seen such brokenness out of a situation like that. This guy today is, is no longer in, in ministry that did this. The church is just now recovering. They've got a good pastor in who's a wonderful, to what character? The guy who's in there now, I told this guy this. I said, dude, I said, he, he, maybe not as flamboyant, but character, integrity. He's leading now, doing a great job. This other guy, guy's not in ministry anymore. Probably never be restored again. And that's why I tell you this, because if we don't take care of our inner life, we will make decisions we look back on and say why would I ever do that and we'll forfeit God's future plans for us and I don't want to see you make the same decision so what do we do if you have your notes handy write this down this is key and is this here you got to call out the saw that's what Samuel did you got to call out see all of us have a little bit of Saul inside of us right all of us have this tendency to cut corners and make rash decisions and compromise and not understand our lane I had the same tendency the reason I take such meticulous care of being healthy and full of characters, because you can never say, well, that'll never happen to me, because the very people who do that don't take care of their inner life, and it happens to them. You have got to call out the Saul in your life. You've got to look and say, you know what? I'm compromising. My eyes are wandering a little too much. 
I'm starting to tell little white lies. Compromise. You've got to call that out in your life. Because that is what Samuel did for Saul. And in 1 Samuel 15, it was only a couple of chapters later, you thought Saul would learn, right? You thought he would get it? Samuel said, your kingdom is over. After another battle, they're battling the Amalekites, another rival enemy of the Israelites. And God says, when you go in there, destroy everything in there. Don't keep anything for yourself. What does Saul do? He keeps all the good stuff for himself. And the reason he did that, I personally believe, is because he wanted to come in as the king who looks the part. Like coming back with gold on his back. Like, look, look, look at me, y'all. See what King Saul did? Look at all this stuff I got. Look at all this bling I got. Yes, yeah, I'm the king. God said completely destroy them. And the reason God wanted them to do that, because they were going to destroy Israel completely if they didn't. And look what happens here in 1 Samuel 15. It says, when Samuel finally found him, I love that. Finally. Samuel's digging through the crowd, looking for Saul, like going to find him. Samuel heard, man, you see all that stuff Saul brought back from the Amalekites? Saul's the man, yo. Saul's got it going on, dog. Like he's, he's something else, man. All that gold. He's Look at the rims on that chariot. And Samuel said, you just wait till I find that. So where is he at? And he says, when he finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, Samuel. I have carried out the Lord's command, lied directly to the prophet of God. And it says this, then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? Samuel demanded. Had it all hid behind them. We have got to call out the saw in our life. We have got to learn to call out the bleeding of goats, the lowing of cattle, all the things we're hiding. You need people who will call out the hiding parts of your life. Call out the saw. And how do you do this? The first thing is this. Don't deflect blame, accountability by blaming others. It's the first thing you can't do. Don't deflect accountability by blaming other people. That's the worst thing. That's the first sin of humanity, right? I mean, yeah, they ate the fruit, but then God says to Adam, hey, man, what happened? He's like, hey, it's this woman. It's my spouse's fault. This is why I'm doing all that. I mean, it's her. God's like, no, 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 no. No, bro, you, you're the leader of your home. You, you take accountability for it. So the first thing that happens when, Saul get, when the Saul gets called out is we can actually deflect accountability and begin to blame other people, and that's what you do not want to do. But here's what we have to do. And I want to encourage you with this this morning. Embrace the Samuels that God sends you in life. Embrace the Samuels who when you say, as they say, how are you doing? I'm fine. Life's never been better. Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. And it says, no, you're not. I can see it all over you. And they begin to call things out in your life. They don't let you compromise. They don't let you disobey God. They don't let you make bad decisions out of compulsion. They call that out. 
The problem in our culture is, guys, we don't embrace accountability. We don't embrace people calling us out to make us better. As I said before, we get bitter when somebody calls us out. We back off, fine, I just won't do it at all. We have this little child mentality. We have to embrace the Samuels that God sends us in our life. Who is that Samuel for you? I pray that every person has some Samuels in their life that can speak to their life. When they're dating somebody that they met at the club, And that person knows that, that, that he's a charlatan and joker. But he's so cute, he's got a six-pack of abs. And they're like, no, 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 no. You don't come that fast. They notice when you're hitting the bottle too much. They notice when prescription medications become too much in your life. They notice when you and your spouse never do a date night. They notice things in your life. They notice things about how you say certain things, and they call you out with that. That when you bring decisions to them, they're not yes people. That's how you get to God's plan for your life, is not always having people who tell you you're the greatest. Matter of fact, that's why you get married. <laughs> Amen? You have somebody 24-7 who just is not impressed with you. They see how dirty your underwear and socks are. They're just not impressed. They smelled your breath first thing in the morning. And they're not impressed with you. And I say that jokingly, but, but can I tell you that one of the greatest Samuels I have in my life is my wife. I mean, rarely does she ever tell me a good sermon, which is fine. But lo and behold, if I make a word up, she's going to let me know. You know, Kim, that word doesn't exist, right? Yes. Yeah, I make up a few little words, and then it's all of a sudden, I'm just not a good preacher anymore. But, but, but on a, my wife is someone who's a Samuel in my life that I have to receive because God's put her in my life. I have friends around me that are Samuels in my life. Somebody asked me the other day, how do you hear God? You don't hear God in a vacuum. You hear God not only through Scripture, but also in community as well. That you have people around you, amen, that will say, what is the bleeding of these sheep and goats? The reason these churches, and you, and you see these churches crash, these megachurches crash, that's the major reason they crash. The higher the leader gets, no one can tell them no. Who can tell you no in your life? I can't stop them. I can't change them. Maybe I can change me, right? And I want to encourage you this week. Where is it that you got to call out the Saul? Who are the people that God has sent you? That sometimes what they say to you makes you angry. Maybe I make you angry. Good. Maybe I offend you a little bit. Good. But God's trying to speak to you because he does not want you to make the same mistake that Saul made over and over again. And my prayer for you this week is that you would let the Scripture speak to you. As a, as a Samuel, embrace it. You would let certain people speak to you, and you would let the Holy Spirit speak to you to help you move past the place that you're at so your insecurity doesn't injure the people around you. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, we need you. Because every one of us in here, Lord God, are insecure, including myself, Lord. We need you to heal our hearts, to speak to us, 
And Father, I pray for those who do have Samuels in their life that have just turned the station off, who've turned the volume down on the Samuels, that Lord, they would turn the volume back up. They would embrace the people that you've sent them to speak into their life, God, to speak wisdom to them, Lord, when they're all in their feelings, Father. And I pray for those who don't have Samuels, that, Lord, you would send those Samuels in their life to help them, Lord, not make the same mistakes that Saul made. And finally, Lord, I just pray that you would help Thrive Church, and and as we coach and work with other pastors around this country, we would help them, Lord, to be people of character and integrity as you deepen the well of our character and integrity, Lord. I pray, Father, that our number one goal as individuals at this church, as leaders at this church, everybody who attends, who watches, would be to deepen the well of character and integrity, to obey you, Lord, at all costs. We love you, Lord God, and we thank you. As we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe you're at a place where your next step is to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you walked away from your faith because you were hurt by a church. Maybe church leaders hurt you. And the enemy has used that to put a wedge in between you and serving Jesus and following Jesus and loving Jesus. And the enemy is happy. Today, you're going to get rid of that. Get rid of that gap and you're going to come back to faith in Christ once again because he never hurt you. Or maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. And you want to change. You want to change in your heart. You want to change in your life. You want to see God's goodness and see God's fruit and see God's favor. If that's you today, whether you're in here physically or online, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And it's this here. Saying, God, I admit that I am a sinner. I admit I cannot save myself by trying to be good. I need the Savior. Today, I give my life to Christ. I confess Christ as my Lord, for I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day, and I believe he sits at the right hand of God. Today, I repent. I turn from that old life. I receive brand new life, forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. And it's in Jesus' good name I pray.